<laughs> Here I am. Oh, anything? Notice anything different? Oh. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Two Takes on Film podcast. Heather here. Wyatt, of course, is also uh, here. There he is. Um, and today, as usual, we have a couple of films to discuss mm-hmm. with you. Uh, but before we jump into that, there are just a couple of questions that have been swirling in my mind, just overtaking my mind mm. the past couple of weeks. So I'm going to ask them to you. I have two of them. Is okay. that okay? Yeah. Okay, great. The first of which stems from my visit to the theater last week when I went to go see Spiral, which for those of you listening, if you haven't listened to last week's episode where we review Spiral, um, please go do that because I went and saw that for you, just for you. you, I put myself through that for you. So please go listen to that episode. But prior to the movie, if you've ever been to a movie, you know, they show previews for upcoming movies. And um, we had talked about the fact that uh, Lionsgate did Spiral. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Am I wrong about that? That's right. Okay. Because they own the Saw Saw franchise. Right. Okay. So we had talked about that prior to going to see the movie. And so as I was sitting there watching previews, I was noticing that many of the previews that were shown were also from Lionsgate. So it got me thinking, who gets to decide what previews are shown before a movie? And to tell you the truth, I do not know. It's so interesting. I could give you some guesses, but then there's like things that seem to contradict those answers. Like I would hmm. say the studio, right. but then that doesn't make sense because then literally every single movie would, would be just be theirs. Right. But that's not the case. Totally. I would say the theaters themselves, because like the previews I saw, like you mentioned a specific preview that I definitely yeah. didn't see in front of Spiral. Interesting. But I also don't know if the studios would ever leave something like that up to individual theaters because they're right. so controlling. Right. It seems like they would work in clauses to say these certain movies. So I don't know. So what I will do is I will research that later and next episode we can bring this up again Ooh, great and i will have some answers as far as that and it seems like something i should know because i love you trailers. love you love them i love trailers i love seeing them especially in theaters but like i i have this game i play that heather knows mm-hmm. well um that well it, it started off with like my sisters and stuff like who i would go see movies with when yeah. i was younger yeah because it really was like Basically, the game is I say the title of the movie as quickly as I can into the the trailer. So the the preview starts and like as as soon as I recognize what movie that preview is for, I say the title of it to the Mm -hmm. person sitting next to me. Mm -hmm. But it really started off because when I was younger and like first getting into movies, it was just like no one in my family, my sisters and I knew nothing about movies. And so we'd be watching it and I'd, I'd be like, oh, I recognize this movie based off like either having seen the trailer or just like, I can recognize who's in it, blah, 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 the story. And I mean, this would be like, it'd be like a full minute into the trailer already, yeah. but you know, as I, I, I was barely in the movies. And so I'd say it kind of as like a excited, like, Oh, 
Macy, oh, Stephanie, like, I know what this movie is. It's mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And they'd be like, cool, shut up. You know, like, <laughs> um, the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I like kept doing that and then it annoyed them, which, yeah, as like a teenage boy with my sisters, I was like, okay, so I'm going to do this more. Yeah. Um, but then I got really good at it. Yeah. Like, freak, like in college, I just honed that down to, I mean, I was averaging like seconds into a trailer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Footage did not need to be shown. You need to just show me a few like symbol or a, a few like studio logos. Yeah. Or just like and then, one like, beat sound. of the music. Yeah. yeah. And I'd be like, boom, I know what this is. Know it. Even if I've never seen the trailer before, like we'd be watching a premiere and usually on premieres, like trailers also premiere at that. So they're not mm. on YouTube or anything yet. And I'll be like, I know what this is for. Um, and so it became like this. It really is, even though I do say it to the person next to me to kind of validate it to something, yeah. to someone, yeah. it's really for myself. Yeah. Like, I think it's mostly for me to compete against myself and like constantly get better and like know more about movies and, you know, what's coming out and that kind of stuff. Sure. And on top of that, besides just that game, I just genuinely love trailers. Yeah. Like I would take a job just editing trailers a lot, totally. not in the movies themselves, because they are works of art in themselves. Like yeah. there are so many great trailers there out there for movies that absolutely suck um yeah which is awesome that you can turn like a kind of sucky movie into a cool trailer that's great i want to do that i want to trick people into seeing bad movies (laughs) (laughs) um but then when it's a great trailer for a great movie that's even better because you you can like i'll go back and watch trailers for movies that came out years ago to relive kind of the sensation Hmm. of the hype for that movie that i had bad or good but yeah. it's especially good when i can go back watch a trailer be like man i remember how excited i was for that i remember how much i love that trailer and i love the movie mm-hmm. equally like the movie yeah. lived up to it yeah. that just makes it cooler to watch the trailer again watching the ones for the movies that didn't really live up to it it's like yeah. still cool because i remember that time but not as satisfying so yeah. Yeah. um i definitely feel like i should know who chooses the trailers and you know, usually I feel like most people kind of just recognize this, but usually it's either movies that are from the same studios mm-hmm. or movies that are like, they're not going to show a horror movie trailer in front right. of the Yeah. Similar genre. Similar genre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically just like the people who want to see the movie that is right. being shown, what else would they want to see in the future? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll do, I'll do some research and I'll look into that. I love that. Yeah. Um, the, oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say the um, trailer that you referenced that I saw that you did not see in front of your your movie in front of Spiral um, was the trailer for Free Guy, um, which is one of the films coming out starring Ryan Reynolds, where he is a video game character. Um, an NPC. A what? An NPC, a non-playable character. Oh, so like in an open world game, and I say this like I play video games. <laughs> I don't play video games. I'm just a nerd enough that I know uh, what the terminology for this. Yeah. I yeah. don't think it's like that nerdy of a thing to know. It's, But like in an open world game, something like uh, Grand Theft Auto or something mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. like there's an existing world and you can kind of go around and make your own decisions. It's not yeah. like you have to get from point A to point B and there's levels like something yeah. like Mario. Sure. Um, this is like there's like things you can go interact with and make so there's a bunch of like characters walking around that you can interact with but they you can't play as them Hmm. they're non-playable characters they just exist as like whatever so he plays a guy he's a Mm -hmm. banker i'm pretty sure who just every day goes about the same routine Mm -hmm. and like stuff happens in the city like whatever and then he eventually realizes that he is a computer generated like non-playable character Mm -hmm. inside this open world video game 
and decides to kind of like take control of his rather than just follow whatever the formula has for him yeah. like, control, which is a fun idea I'm, I'm sure it'll be like a good time yeah it's yeah so that that is what I was going to talk about but continue your thought oh yeah it. um my thought was or what I was telling Wyatt earlier was that when it was playing I had this thought to myself of wait is did they already make a sequel for this because I remember seeing the trailer for it prior to COVID. Like I, I think, I think it was then Mm -hmm. maybe it was when I went back to the movie movies to see tenant for that, like short time in the fall of last year. But I really think it was before COVID that I saw it for the first time. Um, and anyways, when I saw it that time, I was like, oh, that looks interesting, whatever. Um, but then the second time that I saw it, I looked it up afterwards. It's not a sequel. It's the same movie. Mm-hmm. It's just been delayed because of COVID. Um, but in the time that it's been delayed, they obviously like recut a new trailer um, and it felt longer than the first, which I know they do that for trailers. They have different lengths. The first was a teaser, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this one that I saw made me more interested in seeing it. Also, because since I saw that first trailer, I have watched Killing Eve, which um, one of the main stars of Killing mm-hmm. Eve, which I'm forgetting her name, um, she is also in this film. So um, that's all I was going to say was that yeah. in the time since I had seen that first one, I feel like whatever they did to add it or recut it or whatever changed my perspective on wanting to see it. So again, the power of a trailer. That, yeah. It's funny that you say that. Cause so the first teaser trailer for free guy came out, came out in December of 2019. Oh, so, okay. I mean, a while okay. ago. Now, Great. Yeah. A year and a half ago. Yeah. yeah. So it definitely did play in front of movies late 2019, early yeah. 2020, 2020. Um, and then they like pulled it back because not only COVID, so it wasn't playing in theaters, but they like took it off of like advertisements um, on YouTube and stuff like that because mm-hmm. it wasn't getting a strong reception. I mean, hmm. you have Ryan Reynolds, who's like one of the most bankable stars totally. in the world right now. Like yeah. everyone loves Ryan Reynolds. Um, put him in like an action comedy, like people are going to go see it. Yeah. Um, and but people like weren't responding well to the trailer and so they totally cut it and then they put out another trailer this past december i think it was december 4th 2020 Mm. which i guess is like six months ago now yeah um but you're just seeing it in theaters right just the other day or the other week or whatever because i don't feel like i see a lot of trailers just in my everyday life unless i'm like actively looking for them you know like i don't i get notifications when they come out or whatever Yeah. yeah yeah but What's funny is they acted like it was the first trailer. If you look it mm. up, it's called uh, like Free Guy Trailer, which is normally the name given to like the teaser. And then the first full length would be trailer number one. Um, and they even put out this video like a couple days before it came out of like this Zoom meeting, like this fake Zoom meeting between the cast. Well, I don't think it was fake, but I mean, like it was obviously scripted or whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. they did it to promote the trailer mm-hmm. where they're talking and like, basically just like Ryan Reynolds and a few of the cast members saying like, we're so excited for this movie or whatever. Like, we can't wait for you guys to see this like sneak peek that's coming out in like a week, but like a full trailer came out. Had already come earlier, out. Yeah. But enough people just like had other things to focus on. Totally. Understandably, you know, in the past year that they just acted like it never existed. So hmm. 
interesting thing but it kind of highlights some movies really benefited from covid yeah <laughs> to be honest like, yeah the extra time and and i do i do agree with you the second trailer is a lot more interesting yeah to me like it makes it look a lot more appealing of a movie to me because mm-hmm. i remember seeing the i like remember hearing about the movie and i was like oh that'll be a fine time and i saw the trailer and i was like oh that actually really didn't look- i'll still go see it but like yeah doesn't look that good now it's back to the like oh that'll be a fine time yeah, yeah. i mean like yeah. not amazing but like yeah I'll, I'll have a few laughs you know whatever. yeah yeah um so yeah interesting I'll have a few interesting laughs. way i think um another movie that's about to come out that possibly we'll be reviewing next week because it does come out this next week uh that i think is going to really benefit from just having full-on weighted a year is quiet place part two yeah yeah one because those movies are just made for the theater like totally. you have to see that in the theater, yes. which yes. i'm sure we'll talk about when we review it yeah um but they really it's been over a year since it was supposed to came out come out mm-hmm. um they really there wasn't they didn't put they were the first movie i don't know if you remember that to fully say like we're, we're gonna wait we're not like we're waiting out the pandemic like yeah not like tenant where it's like a month at a time yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like a couple times. Like, no, this is like that's what John Krasinski said. He said, We will not release this movie until we can all see it in a movie theater together. Yeah. I remember that statement. I remember yeah. reading it almost in tears, thinking, Oh no, this is gonna be a really hard year for movies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is not gonna be fun for me. If but, everyone followed that. <laughs> yeah, which a lot of people did. And yeah, and that was kind of but good for him for making that yeah decision if he was like the one to truly make it or yeah whatever. um and i think that and what see. it i was just gonna say what a difficult decision to make like oh, i can't yeah. imagine having this finished product like they were ready to release it and then making that decision of like no i think we need to wait and then just sit on it for mm-hmm. a year which granted that gives them more opportunities to you workshop it like? or whatever you know what it's like is when you are coming to the end of a season yeah like a like a season season like summer fall yeah and you find a really nice outfit Mm. for the season that's coming to an end yeah and you're like man i just want to go showcase this like i've got this thing coming up this dinner this whatever i want to showcase this outfit but like i think i've got to wait till next summer oh my gosh it's not time it's not time right now this season has passed i need to wait until i can like fully fully utilize the situation and the weather and the atmosphere again and so it hangs in your closet i say this like this happens to me a lot (laughs) (laughs) i think it's gonna say this feels very personal usually what happens is i really enjoy a good sweater and i'll find sweaters on like clearance during the summer sure oh this is such a cool sweater but like it's august you know i gotta wait and then like october november the cooler months will roll around and i'll forget about it and then it gets like christmas i'm like crap i forgot about that sweater i gotta wear it like one good time and then (laughs) like holiday season has passed and like totally wasted it anyway john krasinski did not waste it he waited till a good time and if you're listening to this tomorrow um sunday the 23rd yeah sunday the 23rd if you're listening Mm -hmm. to this or like the week following it means that probably A Quiet Place Part 2 is coming out in a couple days and there is probably a theater open near you. Yeah. So you should go see it in a theater. Let's all see it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then let's get together next Sunday, the 20th, um, 30th, 9th, I think. 30th, yes. Yeah, 30th. the 30th. Yeah. And 
you can talk about it with us and we'll Cute. have seen it too. And it'll be like old times where people went and saw movies on the weekends that they came out. And then wow. we talked about it as a collective group, wow. as in you guys sat and listened to the two of us talk about <laughs> talk it. About it. But you know what I mean? Let's go see it this Friday. We'll see you. We'll see you there. I love that. Love that. Um, do you think we have time for my other question or should we save it? Um, it's up to you. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll just quickly mention it because it it's currently happening in the news of my area of Southern California. So, Uh um, I live in orange County and this past week, there is someone who has been driving on freeways and has been randomly shooting at cars. And that's terrifying to think about that. (laughs) that I actually don't know. I haven't heard about this. So yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's essentially it. Like they were driving by them, like like, shooting with like, or is it like a sniper type of situation? No, he's, he or she, who knows? um, They are actively in their vehicle driving down the freeway. And it is just like a random act of violence that they are just randomly shooting at other vehicles. Um, So the first report of it happening was on a freeway out in Pasadena, which is like, not super close to me, but also is one like I had just driven it a couple days before it had happened. Um, and then this last one happened um, just yesterday morning and it was on the 55 freeway, which I do frequently drive every time I go to the beach. That is the freeway that I take. Um, and it was like early in the morning and there was a little six-year-old boy who was killed because of this mm. person who was driving. Um Anyways, my roommate Larissa and I were driving to dinner on the freeway last night and I chose that time to tell her about it, (laughs) which was maybe not ideal. Um, But when we were talking about it, it reminded me of an episode of Criminal Minds that I saw one time where there was this man who had been... I don't know. He was unhappy in his marriage, felt like he had been wronged by women in his life. And so he... um, as he's driving down the freeway freeway one day, like encounters this woman who cuts him off and there's this incident of road rage. And he, for some reason has a gun with him and like shoots her outside, like from his, he's in the driver's seat, shoots her out the passenger window Mm -hmm. and then intentionally goes home and like creates this, um, arm essentially like for his gun that he can be in the driver's seat and then like roll down his passenger window and stick it out of his window to like more accurately shoot people yeah anyways after i saw that episode i would not make eye contact with any anyone i saw as i was driving down the freeway because it was just terrifying and then to think that there is now this person who they have not caught who is just like randomly choosing Southern California freeways and is shooting. It's just been those two incidents. Um, It's happened a few different times. So those two freeways are the ones that I remember hearing about, but there have been multiple Mm -hmm. like victims and all of that. It reminds me of two things. A movie and a real life situation. Yeah. A movie being unhinged just this right. past right. year. I didn't did you see it. No. I did see it. It but was the the idea sounds similar. Yeah. Um and then two, there was a real life situation which I think might have been adapted into a film at some point. And I really don't know all of this for sure. So I'm gonna say things that I think I remember hearing. Okay. Uh, I'm just telling the the listener that I may not be one hundred percent accurate. I think it was somewhere on the East Coast, but there was a case of random sniper shootings throughout a city. 
Hmm. Like over time, like people just on the street kind of thing, walking to a coffee shop, like whatever would just get sniped like out of nowhere. Yeah. Like one or two at a time, like just a couple at a time or whatever, even just one. And then like nothing. And then it would happen again and again and again. And it turned out that it was, I think it was like a pair of brothers or something, but they had like situated this whole setup in their car. Like everyone was always looking to like where it was in the city, like uh-huh. what buildings were across the street, that kind of thing. But it was like out of the trunk of their car. Oh my they gosh. Like, drilled like holes and stuff so that yes. they could just like, yeah, it was like a famous thing. Yeah. Maybe, like 20 ish years ago that happened throughout the city. And for like weeks, for weeks, they terrorized the city and killed like dozens right. of people. Um, not that this is exactly like that, but totally that idea of just like on the road, mm-hmm. they can just flee the scene immediately. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. So that's what the news was saying was like, if, if you get hit and you're, it's not like fatal and you're still with it, like speak out to your phone and have your phone dial 911 so that you can keep driving. And that as soon as you get on the phone with 911, immediately just start describing all of the cars that are around you. Because that's the thing with a situation like this is they, like, they don't know where it's coming from. So they, how are there hundreds of vehicles on this like short span of freeway at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So how are they just supposed to be able to like find this person? So anyways, as Larissa and I were talking about this last night, particularly about the criminal minds episode, we were just wondering, and I'd love to hear your thoughts or our listeners thoughts. Do you feel like sometimes TV shows or movies essentially like give people ideas Mm-hmm. for what to do in these crazy like sometimes they're not that crazy like but like I don't know yeah. like do no. does it is there a point where it's like oh this is this is giving people ideas mm-hmm. to commit crimes yeah I mean I think that it definitely can I think people are a little too hard on movies sometimes when it comes to that like a lot of especially like mass shootings mm-hmm people immediately point to like glorification of violence and like well video games i think have it even worse as far as people point to that yeah but video games violent music or at least like music with more negative messages or whatever and movies i think that they can i don't think it's more so than any other like art form Mm -hmm. um but i do it it reminds me of joker Mm -hmm. 2019 october 8th joker uh people were really worried yeah that that would like sell something and historically i think people were most paranoid by the last uh well in 2012 yeah. the dark knight rises came out which was mm-hmm. a follow-up to 2008's dark knight which had mm-hmm. the joker in it mm-hmm. Heath Ledger's joker dark knight rises didn't have the joker in it but there was a mass shooting in aurora yeah. colorado yeah. i'm sure you guys know this i was not in aurora in medford oregon but i was mm-hmm. at the premiere and i remember leaving the premiere um with like a dozen texts and calls from my mom and my, yeah. my the guys and I all had like texts from my mom because they had heard about this happening and didn't know like, is this like a widespread thing? Like, is this like a planned attack on like theaters all across America? You know what I mean? Like, uh, and they, they're people who had young children or like young adults during the time of like 9-11 and stuff. Yeah. So I think their minds are prone to think like organized attack terrorism totally. kind of thing. Um luckily well yeah well luckily it was just a contained incident Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. however not 
is a horrible, horrible totally. thing. Yeah. Um, and I know that the theaters in Aurora, Colorado refused to play Joker. Mm-hmm. They actively like sent a letter to Warner mm-hmm. Brothers um, saying that they weren't going to play it, which yeah. is, is understandable. It's a, it's a touchy subject. And yeah. ultimately like, this is not the first, you know, Joker is not the first time that people made a movie about a like violent societal outsider mm-hmm. that's been happening for a long long time yeah um nor is it the first like art form even before movies to like do that sort of thing and ultimately i think that artists should not be restricted to to show and depict whatever they want mm-hmm. as like a lover of film as a lover of art i feel like i can't say anything other than that hmm. however being completely honest personally sitting in a theater watching joker mm-hmm. especially the way that joker did play out with the nature of the violence that occurred yeah you know i thought like if it went more theatrical if it went more bombastic like this yeah. big widespread city thing but it really was like this personal thing that yeah. the character and obviously sorry we're like spoiling joker a lot but like an act of violence that he carries out mm-hmm. um especially sitting in the theater watching it as like i don't think there's any denying that most people who carry out mass shootings and by most i mean like most like mm-hmm. 99% look like me mm-hmm. age range race you know yeah and it made me feel a little uncomfortable being mm-hmm. in the theater thinking like are there other people white young men watching yeah. it who are going to be like that's my hero now yeah you know yeah um and people were really concerned about it yeah. luckily nothing happened yeah like it was a success as far as like no form of like violence or anything happened mm-hmm. maybe that's a testament to like how well the movie handled it maybe it's good luck yeah i don't know i don't mm-hmm. know i do think that artists should be able to show whatever they want but i do think that there is a point where you have to ask yourself as an artist is this socially responsible for us Hmm. to put out Hmm. yeah that's interesting are we opening up potential to incite the exact thing we're trying to condemn Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of nuances that go into it you know you cannot portray those types of characters sympathetically which Mm -hmm. i think is a problem that a lot of people had is that Mm -hmm. we portrayed him sympathetically however there were things to be sympathetic for sure i don't know it's a, such a complicated situation yeah um but i think that ultimately like i'm not going to sit here and, and say that i think that filmmakers should or shouldn't put a or b or z mm-hmm. into a movie mm-hmm. but i do think that it's every filmmaker and every artist's responsibility to look at the content they're putting out look at the reach of the content they're putting out like how many people are viewing this the type of people are viewing this and just think like is this a responsible thing for me to be doing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um that's a lot of weight to carry it is it is and maybe they think no and that's the answer they wanted yeah trying to be irresponsible i don't know yeah them um but i think that that is like a decision for them to make and that's not just with like that kind of situation that can be with 
the way you depict or represent all sorts of different um, things that might affect someone. Mm -hmm. That's a vague statement, but things affect people. Movies affect people. Sure. If you're making these, I mean, I think that most filmmakers are more in the business of affecting human minds than like filming things. <laughs> that that might sound like a weird sentence, but like <laughs> I think one of the things that is most attractive to me about film is how effective it can be to a single person, to an entire society. And I think that good filmmakers understand that and they understand the power they wield through that. And that is the business they're in. They're, they mm -hmm. want to make stories that will affect people more so than they want to just film this thing with a camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, so hopefully they'll understand the weight and the responsibility of that mm -hmm. for as heavy as it is, like you said. Um, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but hopefully they do. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's a tough subject. It's, yeah. It's, it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So listeners if you have thoughts on this um yeah i'd love to know just what you think about particularly violence in film or tv shows and what the line is between um yeah between art and inciting something <laughs> beyond art i don't know i don't know where that line is i don't know that anyone knows so yeah Cool. Well, those are my questions for you today. Um, thanks for that. It's a good time. Movies, in theaters, trailers, all the things. So excited. But um, the two movies that we are going to be discussing today are actually both available on Netflix. So mm -hmm. if you are not quite ready to head to the theater yet, that's okay. There's still lots of great things that are coming out on streaming services uh, for you to be able to watch. So uh, today we're going to be talking about The Woman in the Window and Army of the Dead. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? Uh, you start. Okay, great. I'm going to be reviewing The Woman in the Window. And uh, again, this is available on Netflix. It just came out um, last week. I think. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and it is the latest film from director Joe Wright, who is responsible for uh, Pride and Prejudice, the Kira Knightley version, um, Atonement also with Kira Knightley. Mm -hmm. um, Atonement was also my first rated R movie that I saw in the theater after I turned 17. Wow. Doesn't that feel significant? 2008. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> and uh, Joe Wright is also responsible for Darkest Hour, who uh, it stars Gary Oldman, um, who was nominated for, or the film was nominated for Best Picture at the 2018 Oscars. And Gary Oldman won for Best Actor. Yeah. So, um, and Gary Oldman is also in this movie, The Woman in the Window. So, mm -hmm. uh, The Woman in the Window is based on a book um, by the same name. And so there's another one of those. We had a, a book turned movie last episode and again um, with the woman in the window. So the woman in the window is about an agoraphobic woman named Anna Fox. And she's played by Amy Adams. Um, and Anna is trapped inside her New York home, her massive New York mm -hmm. home, um, of course, because she is agoraphobic. Um, and while she is uh, kind of 
neighborhood watching, looking out her window, um, she believes that she sees something tragic happen uh, through the window of her new neighbor's home across the street. Um, So this story is really the story of her trying to battle her phobia as well as battle her medication and alcohol habit um, that she has, but also uh, kind of work with this desire that she has to figure out what exactly is going on in the house across the street. So I think I would give this one a seven out of 10, which I think I had mentioned to you mm-hmm. <laughs> after I had seen it. Um, and here are some of the reasons why. Um, first and foremost, I think this movie had a great cast. Um, Amy Adams is a strong lead. Although as I was watching it, I thought that like a Florence Pugue, is that who say her last name? Pew, Pew. Um, I thought she would have been great in a role like this personally, hmm. but um, a little young. A, yeah, but also like she could have. I don't know. I feel like she has the ability to age up if needed. Yeah. Um, all of that being said, though, Amy Adams was great um, as as a strong lead, um, but the cast that was supporting her, such as. Gary Oldman, Julianne Moore, Brian Tyree Henry, um, they were also great as well. And I think um, I'll get into it a little bit later as far as things that I didn't love pertaining to the cast. Um, But all in all, just the roster of the cast itself felt super strong to me. Um, Secondly, the production design of this movie, it was beautiful and moody. It all takes place in her New York home, um, which honestly, I feel like her house would make anyone jealous, but especially New Yorkers because her place is literally like four, three or four stories tall. Um, and she lives there by herself. She has a tenant who rents out the basement, but it is a massive home. And I think that was almost a little bit disorienting throughout the movie because, you expect, oh, she's living in New York by herself. She probably has like one level mm-hmm. of that building, but no, she has the whole thing. <laughs> so that's interesting. And I yeah. think they were able to use it and use the different spaces for for different parts of the film. But um, the, the home as a whole is beautiful. Um, if you don't follow Color Palette Cinema on Instagram, it's one of my favorite accounts to follow. It takes snapshots and scenes from movies and shows the color palette from that scene. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie gave a lot of um, a lot of potential content for something like that, just because of the colors that were used in both in her costumes as well as just the set design as a whole. Um, I just thought it was pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything to add so far? Um, <laughs> you're being so quiet. And so I don't know if it's because you're well, just really waiting or I didn't enjoy the movie too much, but um, so <laughs> maybe that's, uh, I think that Joe Wright is an interesting director. He's had some high highs. I think atonement is a fantastic movie. I yeah. think darkest hour is overrated, but good. Um, hmm. But he's had some really low lows as well. Yeah. Uh, like pan in 2015 was hmm. just not good and even his best works like atonement or darkest hour i think they're considerable flaws and he's also a weird director stylistically Hmm. his movies feel 
like an attempt to be overly stylish. But I don't know, almost too old school. Like this movie, for example, um, I really did enjoy the first act quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And it play it pays a lot of homage to old Hitchcockian. Yeah. Films, yeah. Um, because obviously anyone who knows anything, um, <laughs> anyone who knows anything, <laughs> anyone who knows anything about movies knows the movie Rear Window right. by Alfred Hitchcock, which is an obvious inspiration for the book and the story of yeah. Woman in the Window. Um, and the way that it's all set within the single apartment and the way that it's staged, the way the sets are staged feels like a lot of, uh, homage to him. There's a lot of old classic thrillers like Uh Matisse Falcon and things like that, um, that happen. She watches on her TV and then it's like spliced in. Yeah. There's, uh, kind of old school thriller like screams and cuts with mm-hmm. knives like superimposed mm-hmm. or blood splatter like in front of the screen that you, and i think he tried to go for that with the lighting like especially hitchcock films like vertigo um or well vertigo in particular like with the green and the red but a lot of times in old movies old thrillers like that you'd have these closed sets that are like indoor rooms and then outside the windows they just have like singular lights like a green Hmm. light just coming through the window yeah there's like curtains like half like uh uh transparent kind of curtains so you don't really know what's outside yeah sheer yeah but it's just like the singular color and he did that with a lot of the rooms but then like you'd have this scene where she'd walk into three different rooms and one's orange orange one's like red one's green and it just felt like artificial Hmm. uh felt uh like miniatures like toys like Hmm. a little too detached from reality to like which i think i think there was an attempt there to kind of um it's speaking to her own experience her psyche yeah Yeah. um but it just didn't land with me it Hmm. just felt distracting um and felt like it just didn't hit the mark i did yeah so anyway i want you to keep going with okay okay tear it apart yeah okay (laughs) tear it apart i'm sure you will um the last thing that fell into my things that I liked category, um, was the score. I do feel like there were specific moments that it did a great job of kind of building suspense. And, um, yeah, I think especially in a, in a thriller type movie, music and sound is so important to building that suspense, that suspense. And I feel like they did a great job of that. Um, a fun little fact for you about, the score um Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor were supposed to be the score people uh-huh. the scorers um what are they called composers. <laughs> composers uh but um this movie as many movies have been over this past year like we have talked about ha- was delayed multiple times and so when it was delayed and then brought back into production they were actually replaced by Danny Elfman who ultimately ended up doing the score so um we have talked a lot about Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor over uh, particularly this past Oscar season so um yeah I, I think it would have been interesting to see what they would have done for yeah. a movie like this, but yeah. um, Danny ultimately is not a bad replacement through those of you who don't know. Sure. He's a constant collaborator of Tim Burton. 
Um, and he also is a vocalist himself. So like, if you know the hmm. movie, uh, nightmare before Christmas, hmm. he wrote all the music and the songs for that. And also voices, oh, wow. uh, Jack Skeleton. Oh, so yeah. Wow. Danny, yeah. man, man of many talents. Love that. Musical guy. Yeah. Uh, as far as a couple of the things that I didn't love so much about this movie, um, my first one is pointing back to the cast. I feel like they had some really heavy hitters that I don't feel like they used well. Um, I feel like they were too spread thin. We didn't really get to like go deep with any of them. Um, I feel like the the shining star for in this movie for me was Julianne Moore and her role is so minimal, but she felt like the most dynamic character. Everyone else felt a bit more flat. Um, mm-hmm. And she, I think, brought a lot of life. So I was bummed that we didn't get as much time with her. Um, and Brian Tyree Henry. I thought he was the I other really one who yeah. um, was also pretty dynamic. So, yeah, I just feel like I can understand why they weren't more a part of it, given the storyline and the the focus on Amy Adams' character. But it just felt like a missed opportunity to have so many great people involved and then to not get much time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, I have not read the book of this. Um, however, in reading some other feedback and reviews um, of others who have watched this movie, it seems as though there are quite a few key elements that are missing um, that are in the book that are missing in the film, which ultimately, whenever you turn a book into a movie, you're, that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you can't have a a book length movie. It's just not possible. Um, However, if you have read this book and then choose to go see this movie, just know that there will be things. It seems as though significant things that are missing. Um, People had also talked about the fact that the book references a lot more development in this. um, Amy Adams character goes through this past trauma that has led to her being agoraphobic and the book dives into that a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was missing in the movie was just kind of the empathy for her character um, and what she had gone through that led to this place that she was now. So anyways, I think I would be interested in going back to read a book like this because it just seems like the kind of story that I would enjoy. But um, again, if you have read the book and then you're going to go watch the movie, just a heads up there. Yeah. Uh, And then the last thing that I'll mention is that I think the ending falls a bit flat. I think there's a big buildup right at the end. um, And then it's just like kind of over and it feels a bit it feels a bit too fluffy for me for what just happened at the end. (laughs) Um, So again, some of that could be uh, related to the fact that this movie did have a really complicated history from um, filming and production and reshoots um, to what we actually ended up seeing here. Um, It was supposed to be released in 2019. They did some test shows of it and got some pretty tough feedback as far as people just being confused. Um, So I feel like they probably scrapped a lot of it to kind of start over. Anyways, I didn't love the ending. It was just, which I, 
I don't know. I won't say too much. <laughs> I think yeah. the ending fell flat for me, um, given what happens at the end. So that's vague, but that's yeah. what I'll say. No, I understand. So. It felt like we had been waiting for this movie for a long time. So yeah. one, thank you to Netflix for picking it up and really yeah. finally getting it out there for as much as I love and much as I don't love about Netflix, like good for them. We're, I'm glad we get to finally see it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really did enjoy the first third of this movie and the second third to an extent. Um, if the first, especially played out at a much slower pace than I expected Yeah. Uh, for this movie that was kind of, it was picked up by Netflix. It was sold as this, like it's shorter. It's an hour 40. It's sold kind of as like something you would scroll upon at midnight on netflix of just like woman in the window psychological thriller Mm -hmm. a little bit of a b movie but like twisty turny it's fun watch it um but then like starts out pretty slow and and had some slightly confusing um kind of narrative beats as far as exploring her phone calls with Mm -hmm. people from her Mm -hmm. past Mm -hmm. that explore the the so-called trauma that you mentioned and Mm -hmm. kind of spliced in with like modern day events and and stylistic choices of other mediums being superimposed and that kind of thing but I really did enjoy it the way that it played out felt very much like I could see this being read as a book like it felt like this is book to screen happening yeah and we're watching like a very um stylistic but dedicated adaptation Mm -hmm. um and then by the second half especially the last third you know, I could just tell that there's no way that it was that faithful to the book because there's yeah. no way a book with all its pages and words could be this convoluted. Hmm. It just really the the amount of reveals, some shocking, some predictable that kind of get pulled out genuinely had me chuckling hmm. at points towards the mm-hmm. end of just how um, overstuffed and again i'll say convoluted it was Mm -hmm. uh which led to just a dissatisfying ending and and something that just left you feeling like you had watched all build up and no no culmination um Mm -hmm. but i mean there there are good things to the movie like i said i do appreciate some of the stylistic choices made at least it's going for them in some Mm -hmm. way which i appreciate more than like a movie that just doesn't even attempt at that yeah there are certain set pieces even towards the end that kind of merge realities and merge mm-hmm. past and present in physical spaces together that i thought was really cool looking and mm-hmm. well put together um and led to fairly poignant moments uh for the characters involved and and very fairly impactful reveals however there's not a lot of empathy to be had especially yeah. for amy adams characters yeah. uh the way we don't get to know too much about her past or that kind of thing makes mm-hmm. some of her actions more so just annoying. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, like there comes a point in the movie where like you meet this person and you kind of trust them, but then they kind of do something creepy and then you meet this person, you kind of mm-hmm. trust them. But then also Amy Adams is kind of doing some creepy stuff. So you're like, yeah. I don't really like anyone in this movie that much. Yeah. Like, not only do I not trust them, which is cool and that's good. And that makes for like, tense watching but i don't like them very much mm-hmm. either mm-hmm. it's great when you have a movie character that you don't trust but you really like yeah you know yeah. like i don't trust them i don't know if they have good intentions but yeah man i really like them yeah and like whatever their intentions are i kind of hope they get to see them through um but these characters you're like i don't really like them or trust them hmm. they're all obviously 
messed up they and it just leads to like i said just a very convoluted very uh just overstuffed complicated ending that yeah. doesn't offer any satisfying conclusion in my mind um yeah. but i think that it's watchable enough i think that mm-hmm. the twist endings will satisfy general audiences enough that it's a good time if you like that kind of thing yeah like if, if you've ever been on netflix in the middle of night not knowing what to watch and you see like a normal length to shorter movie mm-hmm. about like it's just some sort of like kind of self-contained psychological thriller that obviously is bound to have some sort of twist some sort of killer reveal some sort of that not not too scary but also not not violent yeah and you're like man that sounds good right now like i just want to watch that this is going to be one of the better of those options you have i definitely would suggest you know giving it a watch like Mm -hmm. i think you will find yourself enjoying it if you're in that if you're in that mood yeah um i will say that this movie gave me disturbia vibes disturbia starring shia labeouf from 2007 another movie that's like a blatant not ripoff but took severe inspiration from rear window yeah yeah Yeah. um i love disturbia (laughs) so uh i didn't love this quite as much as i love disturbia um but i did really enjoy this like you said it's a shorter watch it's on netflix um and yeah definitely has some some positives so i would say check it out check it out the woman in the window woman in the window and i do love amy adams she's one of my favorite actresses of all time i think she's totally. arguably the best actress working today um so wow. you know for her performance alone go ahead and check it out yeah and the movie that i am going to be reviewing is army of the dead which just came to netflix yesterday mm-hmm. on the 21st of may um this is the latest film from director Zack snyder Uh, who is a very interesting figure in modern Hollywood. And I personally feel that uh, it would be beneficial to dive a bit into his history, his career, uh, to kind of understanding what brought him, not necessarily to understanding this movie. I think that you can take this movie on its own terms and that's fine. Um, But just understanding what led him to the point in his career that he is now. Hmm. Um, and if anything, not to this movie, but just as he's just a very interesting figure. Like I said, I think that his career is one that should be and will be looked at for a long time. Um, and I think ultimately will have a lot of impacts on Hollywood, whether we've seen them come to fruition yet uh, or have yet to see them mm-hmm. happen. I'm not really sure, um, but it just feels impactful. I mean, he has some of the highest budgeted films of the past 10 years. Like people consistently give him a lot of money, like a lot of money to make big movies, despite the fact that critics have never really liked any of his movies too much. (laughs) Really. He has like two movies that critics look at and are kind of like, yeah, we get the novelty, not really that good, but like we understand why people like it. It's decent. It for people like a, for people who don't know, can you list some of the movies that he's yeah, been a part of? I will, I will, I will. Okay, okay. Yeah. I was just saying, like, someone who consistently puts out content that 
general audiences don't always like that much and critics especially don't like that yeah. much yet continues, continues to just to draw in these huge audiences like that's something that's someone that's worth looking at so Zack Snyder well first of all a fun fact about Zack Snyder seems like a really wonderful guy I've mentioned this earlier before uh I'd love to like hang out with him um but he and I have something in common we're both big fans of the Green Bay Packers. Oh my God. Zach Snyder is actually from Green Bay, Wisconsin. He was oh. born in Green Bay, which isn't like not a lot of people from Hollywood are from the Midwest, mm-hmm. let alone Wisconsin, let alone Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, and he was born in 1966. If you know anything about football, 1966 was the first year of the Super Bowl. That was Super oh. Bowl one happened in 1966. Wow. You had been you had had world championships for years before that, but this was the first year that the first year of the Super Bowl era, as they mm. call it. And the Green Bay Packers, the greatest franchise of all time, inarguably, <laughs> sure, uh, they won Super Bowl one. Oh, flash forward to uh, to 2016. Mm-hmm. It was the 50th Super Bowl. Panthers played the Broncos, Cam Newton, uh, Payne Manning. But anyway, in that whole season, that whole season of Super Bowl 50, Super Bowl L, <laughs> um, sure. they used Roman numerals, <laughs> uh, the NFL ran like an ad campaign entitled Football is Family. Like they had mm-hmm. a bunch of commercials just throughout the season that would play during games that was all about how like, people are lots of families have like this deep connection through Mm -hmm. the teams that they root for and stuff and football's family and your heritage. And then that all kind of culminated in the set of commercials during the Super Bowl that were obviously really well produced, you know, like they're real official about football being family. And the main one was like a three minute commercial. Like it took up almost an entire commercial break more so than a commercial. It was almost just like a little short film. Yeah. I mean, it's literally their organization. It's they are the NFL. Yeah. That, highlighted a phenomena that has been around for a little while called Super Bowl babies. So mm. basically Super Bowl babies are babies born in the city that won the Super Bowl approximately eight to 10 months after that they won the Super Bowl. So you can assume that they might not, they may be a product of their parents' excitement as celebration. to the Super Bowl, their celebration. Yeah. 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 Zack Snyder is a Super Bowl one baby. Oh my gosh. I was born in 1997, which the Packers won their fourth Super Bowl in 1997. I was born in July, so I am not, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm unfortunately not a Super Bowl baby. However, still, I was born the year that my team won the Super Bowl, Aww. which is cool. Yeah. Um, but he is a Super Bowl one baby, and it was super cool because they they literally contacted people who were Super Bowl babies uh-huh. from like all fifty Super Bowls all over the nation wow. and like filmed them. So you had like at the time fifty year olds, obviously that were Zack Snyder's age. Sorry to reveal Zack Snyder's age to everyone. <laughs> I mean, it's public information, but he's fifty five, uh, fifty six. But um, they like these old Wisconsin. You know, they have kids of their own now. Yeah, and then you had this cute like. This uh, Seattle Seahawks had won in 2014, one year before. So you had these little one-year-olds, like they had just turned or, or no, no, they were just months old at that yeah. point. Because this is only oh, like, yeah. they were yeah. like three months old uh, in their little Seahawks, like onesies and stuff. And they were Super Bowl 49 babies. Um, 
So I'm definitely going to have a Super Bowl baby of my own <laughs> one day. It's going to be great. Like, <laughs> uh, I got to get, I got to find someone I'm willing to have kids with before the Packers win their next Super Bowl. Cause you never know how long it's going to be. If I wait too long, it's going to be it's too true. late. It's yeah. true. Um, but I just think that's cool. And he's a big fan of Green Bay Packers and I love Green Bay Packers. So that just, we're both cheeseheads that unites us that's really on a, sweet on a deeply on a spiritual yeah. level really. yeah of course yeah so i already like him because of that yeah. genuinely yeah. another yeah. famous packers fan probably the most famous packers fan besides aaron um andrews who aaron andrews mm-hmm. is an espn uh affiliate she's like a broadcaster mm. who yeah. everyone really knows uh that one it's not as well known because she can't be that biased but like it is known that she's a big Packers fan but uh Lil Wayne is a huge Packers fan Hey-o. which is so random he's from Pittsburgh huh. and his dad Lil Wayne is just barely older than me um not just barely really a, a cup like quite a few years but I mean like oh, okay. he's not like 50 <laughs> or whatever yeah yeah yeah. I yeah. think he's like 30 maybe a little older than that even but he was like 10 or so when the Packers won in 1997 the year I was born um, and his dad had gone to the game randomly and got like a Packers like towel that they like threw into the audience or whatever and brought it back to him. And that was like the only kind of memorabilia he had. Yeah. And so he just became like this diehard Packers fan. And Aww. he literally has written songs about the Packers and stuff like hype oh songs. Gosh. He wrote one this past season before we played the Rams. And I listened to it every day <laughs> on the way back and forth to work, just getting hyped. Oh. Um, but Anyway, so can you sing very, some of it for us? No. <laughs> I'd have one to of these days, I'm going to get which you would to mean sing. I'd have to smoke for the next like hundred years. <laughs> also, he's 38. Oh my gosh! Wow, he's much older than I realized. Either way, I guess I'm older than I realized too. He's basically <laughs> your age. <laughs> okay, come on, not quite. He is uh, 14 years older than me. <laughs> um. But he's also a funny one to me because like Zack Snyder, you're like Hollywood. He's from Wisconsin. Like, oh, that's cool. But then you listen to him talk and you're like, oh, I can hear it. Like, I can see how he would be from that place. Obviously, he hasn't lived there for a long time. Yeah. But Little Wayne, like Wisconsin is like 99% white. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> Little Wayne does just not seem like the demographic of like sure. cheese heads, sure. you know? Yeah. But that's the other thing is being a franchise that old and that mm-hmm. great. Uh, you just, you spread out, you have fans all over. And that's a great thing about like Green Bay, Wisconsin is a tiny city. It's about the Mm -hmm. size of Medford, Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's not a place like, like San Francisco where it's like, there's a ton of San Francisco fans and 95% of them live in San Francisco, but there's also a ton of people in San Francisco. Yeah. There's a ton of Green Bay fans, but there's only about a hundred thousand people in Green Bay. So obviously they're going to be other places. Right. Like no doubt Wisconsin is like the highest pool of uh, Green Bay fans, but like they've spread out. A lot of people don't stay in Green Bay is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, So you just find other Packers fans like all over. Everywhere. It's great. (laughs) Anyway, now, now to that, that was the part about Zach Snyder that I thought was important for people to know to his career. You've got to know. No, no, that had nothing to do with it. Now we're actually. It's a fun fact. I love that. Yeah. So Zach Snyder started his career, at least from a feature film um, perspective, from a feature film standpoint, he did like a lot of music videos and TV commercials and stuff mm. like that. 
um, directing 2004's Dawn of the Dead, which is a remake of 1968's Dawn of the Dead, or, or excuse me, Night of the Living Dead. No, sorry. <laughs> a remake of George A. Romero directed Night of the Living Dead in 1968, and then he directed Dawn of the Dead in 1974, I want to say, which took place in a mall. Dawn of the Dead 2004, Zack Snyder's version, is a remake of that. Mm. And it kind of melded the ideas of George A. Romero, who's like the godfather of zombie movies, his old school zombie style with like this modern wave of zombie movies, which were a lot more like high octane, like old zombie movies were a lot slower. The zombies were always the classic, like, like really slow, you know, hands out in front of them kind of thing. Whereas in the like early two thousands, you had this wave from like Danny Boyle's 28 days later of really like fast, literally fast paced, like the zombies can run fast kind Mm -hmm, of thing. mm -hmm. And then also just like faster paced, like, truly like high octane zombie movies and dawn of the dead melded the two it was very stylistic uh very much felt like a nerd's dream is kind of video game e um yeah like it it was very popular It, it, it performed very very well critics weren't convinced on it but didn't hate it by any means to this day it's one of his best reviewed films Hmm. um and it stuck out having a really terrific opening scene uh, which has become like a a thing in Zack Snyder's career. He does his opening scenes really, really well. Um, that really like, I think people were just ready to go theater and watch another terrible zombie movie because mm-hmm. 75% of zombie movies suck. Um, <laughs> and like got caught of this, like by this hook of a first scene and we're like, hmm. wow, this is, this is new. It's fresh. It feels like an improvement or, or at least like it has something to add to the, uh night of the dead like lore um and that kind of kicked things off after that he directed 300 which was a very popular his movies make a lot of money so that's one of the reasons he keeps getting handed these big movies totally but also to an extent like he's made some serious duds so why do people keep seeing these movies that's another thing because like the question I first asked was why do studios keep handing him these movies? Well, they make money. Studios jobs are just to make money. That's really it. That's all they care about. So that's simple. But why do they keep making money if they're not that good? They're a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. My biggest problem with him has always been that it's style over substance for him. Mm. He often uh, sacrifices story for style. He sacrifices genuine character building moments for shock, which is my biggest problem with uh, Army of the Living, Living Dead, the movie we're going to talk about tonight, or one of my biggest problems with it. Um, but that first became very apparent in 300. If you really watch 300, it's not actually that great of a film, <laughs> but it's a really cool film. It was original. It's hyper stylized. It feels like you're watching a comic book. Hmm. um in like the most like adaptative way possible onto film like i saw this interview where he's talking and he's he's talking about how he pitched 300 to someone and it's this old studio filmmaker like old school guy and he's like okay so where in greece are we shooting and this is still like 2006 you know Mm -hmm. this is a little bit before you had quote live action movies that were basically all computer generated such as like the avengers or something but he was like no 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 no. we're not going to Greece like it's going to be all in front of a green screen like the Hmm. whole movie is like an animated but it feels that way there's there's just he loves his slow motion too Uh he loves his like 
there's cuts in there that the camera just moves in certain ways that it's just like it cannot be real mm-hmm. it is inherently filmatic but he really likes that and he yeah. loves his just hyper stylized storytelling um he then went and made uh watchman mm-hmm. which is an adaptation of um oh what's the author's name yikes Oh, it's really bad that I'm forgetting it. The author of the graphic novel Watchmen, which is arguably one of the best graphic novels of all time. He's a huge fan of comic book characters. You can really see that. I mean, he does care a lot about these superheroes, these different characters that he directs. Um, and Watchmen is one of those movies where depending on who you ask, it's one of the best superhero films ever made. And to other people, it sucked and they hated it. Um, so just a, from the from the get-go, he's just, a very divisive filmmaker his movies are loved and hated equally some more or less equally than others but uh a very divisive filmmaker he went on to make sucker punch and sucker punch is the first time that i think he had a studio step in and really mess with his stuff and it's also the first time he had significant backlash to a film Hmm. like significant backlash his films had always been divisive but they had always had a rabid rabid fan base like supportive of it which is fine like if people hate your movie who cares when you have this many million people who just think it's like literally the best movie ever sucker punch was his first like big big misstep and honestly to this day his his most egregious one i think he's done better since um but i think it might have been a bit of a reality check to him basically sucker punch was about he saw it kind of as an indictment of um sexism in like nerd culture Hmm. as far as how nerds view their female characters and that kind of thing like it's a movie about these women who are in a mental institution and they like basically collectively this is a very simplistic way of describing the movie but they basically collectively daydream these like grand action adventures and if that's real or the other one's real or whatever it's kind of revealed throughout the movie or whatever but basically there are these women in skimpy outfits fighting these dragons you know that kind of thing and he i've seen quotes from him where he said like people would say like um why did you dress the woman like this and he'd say you dress the women like this, like you as a society, you know, like, so, oh, so people, you did this to them kind of thing. And which is like, cool. I get that. But also, no, you did. You hmm. directed this movie, bud. And yeah. what happened is he, I think that he genuinely meant it as like an indictment, but then, so you're, you're indicting like a culture that has kind of done this to our woman our, our female action heroes. Hmm. So to prove that you make a movie hmm. featuring women in skimpy outfits in fight scenes and a lot of slow-mo and close-ups mm-hmm. and it's marketed as that because they want to make money and then a bunch of guys go see it to get that yeah and that's exactly what you gave them yeah and it wasn't nearly strong enough condemning enough to like sober up the guys who like were like oh yeah let's go see this movie because these mm-hmm. hot girls are like fighting monsters like if he had put some like really heavy-handed messaging in him messaging in there they'd probably like have that thought go see it and then leave with their buddies kind of like silently being like feeling bad about themselves which yeah. is a good thing um but he didn't do that it, it, hmm. it was confusing on whether he actually meant it that way or he himself was kind of like playing into his own i mean he's part of nerd culture like mm-hmm. so that was like his first major misstep and from there 
the hate for him, I think grew a lot more from just like, not a fan of his to like, this guy doesn't make good movies. Like he hmm. simply just doesn't actually make good films. Like look at his films so far. They, none of them have actually been good. And Sucker Punch yeah. was the first one that was like truly bad that people looked at and were like, oh, this is like, this isn't a good filmmaker. Hmm. Um, and then, but he, I mean, still made a lot of money. He's still like a prominent filmmaker. He got a call from a man named Christopher Nolan in around 2010, 2011. Um, and Nolan said, Nolan obviously had just come off of directing the Batman um, trilogy. And he said, I started working on a script with my wife and with um, David S. Goyer, who was the screenwriter for uh, The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. And it's a Superman script, but I don't think that I want to do it. I'm going to be done with super or superheroes after the third Batman movie. Um, but would you want to do it? And Snyder said, yes, met with them, grabbed the script, developed it from there and directed Man of Steel in 2013, uh, which I personally think that it's one of his outright better films however mm-hmm. again very very divisive but dc by 2013 was already playing catch up to the mcu mm-hmm. so they created the dceu man of steel was the first film in the dceu and they were just overly eager to catch up to the mcu as far as world building goes to building this whole like cinematic universe um and so they immediately followed Man of Steel with a sequel. And with the sequel, while they're de- developing it, Zack Snyder at one point was like, hey, I think I want to have Batman show up in this movie. Hmm. And then once you do that, well, it's a Batman versus Like you can't yeah. just have Batman show up. Right. It's not a character that can just kind of pop in for a little bit and like yeah. be like, hey, guys. I also exist in this universe, but you're not going <laughs> to see a lot of me because I'm not interesting. Like, no, it's one of the most universally like adored and interesting characters in existence. Um, and the studios, I think, heard him and were like, oh, so you're making Batman versus Superman. Hmm. And whether that's what he meant or not, that's what he was doing now. Yeah. And that resulted in 2016s, 2016s, 2015s, 2016s. Crap. I feel so dumb. One I of the can two. look it up. I'm going to say 2016. Okay. Uh, 2016's Batman vs. Superman, Donna Justice, which was supposed to be kind of the movie, like the Avengers had uh, Iron Man, then the Incredible Hulk, then Captain America, the first Avenger. Is it 2016? Yeah. yeah. I know. Um, <laughs> no, I was definitely questioning myself. Um, but MCU had uh, Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk in 2008, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger and Iron Man two in 2010. And then Thor in 2011 before their fifth film was the Avengers where it came together and it was like, Oh, this is an established like Mm -hmm. universe. Now Mm -hmm. this move, this universe DCU had one movie man of steel. And then movie number two was they're like, they're all coming together. You know, (laughs) like it wasn't quite the big thing like justice league yet, but it was like, already happening and it was just way too quick the characters were Mm. underdeveloped people really did not like it myself included um but for some reason they kept going and at this point Zack snyder is directing every single dcu movie like that's not usually marvel was directing Mm -hmm. was hiring new directors for every single film and so he was hired to direct justice league which Mm -hmm. came out in 2017 things took a very tragic turn 
2016 when Zack Snyder's daughter took her own life, hmm. which is very, very sad. He stepped away from the project. Hmm. There were already issues going on between him and the studio. Obviously, they were looking for this movie to find better reception than yeah. his past film did. Um, and then family tragedy struck mm-hmm. and he stepped away from the project. Luckily enough, for as volatile as MCU and DCU fans can be towards each other, there was a pretty universal nerd rising of support mm. for him and yeah. for his family and for suicide prevention organizations mm. and mental health awareness organizations, which was really, really cool to see. And I've seen him talk about that, mm. like the 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 um reaction from the fan base yeah. and how much it obviously means to him. Yeah, of course. You know, personally that yeah. like he has those people and and you know and he really does like I said before he loves his nerds truly mm-hmm. and and I I really do respect that from him. Um Warner Brothers brought in Joss Whedon to finish um Justice League. Joss Whedon is also kind of like nerd god um he directed the avengers but also was doing buffy the vampire slayer and and firefly like tv shows way back Hmm. in the day um but josh whedon made an entirely different version of the movie by all accounts it was this weird thing where it came out where like things slowly like the day of i think someone walked out of the theater and was frustrated by the movie they saw because the 2017 justice league was abysmal i mean Hmm. truly abysmal it made no money people hated it i mean like really 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 awful just a mess of a film and i think someone somewhere walked out that day like day of release and tweeted hashtag release the snyder cut directors cuts have been around for a long time that's always a thing that like in the film world people are like we want to see the director's version there's like we Hmm. don't want any studio meddling we want to see like what did the director originally have yeah we can tell that this was like tampered with you know yeah and so that was like the kickoff kind of uh to the hashtag that eventually led the movement for a whole new movie to be made which is pretty incredible um it took a while i mean the movie came out four years after Mm -hmm. 27 Mm -hmm. it was may 2017 that justice league came out which wow it doesn't seem that long ago but a full four years it was on the three-year anniversary well it was like the two-year anniversary of um the film that i think warner brothers approached uh zach snyder because on the anniversary of the date that the film came out twitter had like a big everyone hashtag release hmm. the snyder cut like let's all do it right now it got trending for the first time like before it had just been like a little thing within like the film world this was like just straight up number one like twitter mm-hmm. trending and so warner brothers saw it we're like what's the snyder you know these yeah. old like men don't have twitter they're like what is the snyder cut <laughs> um and so i think he kind of explained what it was and that next year, there were a ton of rumors of like, is this happening? Turns out it was, but no one knew. Hmm. And then last year, they released that it would be released early 2021 on mm-hmm. HBO Max. And I think that they had pitched a couple of versions of it to him that they could come back and rework some things, mm-hmm. this and that. 
And every single one, he was like, no, no, no. They had like an unfinished version of the original thing he shot that like had never fully been finished because it was taken pieces of it. And he didn't want to record that or release that. And basically he said, how about let me come back and like make exactly what I want to make, use what I already shot, take away everything I didn't shoot, Uh shoot more stuff Uh that I was going to shoot. Let me make like exactly the movie I wanted to. And for those of you who have heard of or watched the Snyder Cut, it's four hours long. It is truly just his baby. However, he was not paid a dime. Wow. And none of the major actors that returned were either. Wow. All the major actors did not get paid for their returning roles. Like it's it's a cool thing. And hmm. and I think that for as much as you know, I watched the Snyder Cut and still not a great film. <laughs> still not it's it's a significant improvement. I still just support it a ton because I'm always on the side of the director mm. in, in terms like this, as far as like, I want to see what the actor like intended me to see. And I don't want any studio heads getting in the way of that. Um, and it's just a landmark thing. Like none, nothing like this has happened before mm. where like the public could truly like a lot, like convince a studio's mind into doing this it's it's interesting because it's scary and it's not it it makes me think of good and bad i think that this ultimately was a good outcome for kind of public outcry and public's influence over Mm -hmm. studios decisions nowadays however there are bad examples for example the newest star wars trilogy i think was bad where disney essentially let the public bully them Hmm. making worse movies people were upset and they said oh we don't want to upset the people we want to make our money they literally got bullied by just a bunch of nerds with smartphones <laughs> into making worse movies. At the very least, this was, they got bullied into stepping away from something they had meddled with and letting the director just put out his artistic vision. Yeah. Good or not. Yeah. Um, and that, that just came out like two months ago. And mm-hmm. that leads us to his next film, which I think he had already been working on and made Army of the Dead when they like decided to like he had moved on with his career and then the whole Snyder cut stuff like really came to fruition. So I don't think it was purposeful that these were like right next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Army of the Dead was just like already going to come out. Yeah. I think Snyder cut maybe overshadows Army of the Dead. Like it hurts it mm-hmm. a little bit because people are like another Zack Snyder movie. Like yeah. we already just get this. Uh, I don't need to watch it. Like is it more of the whole mm-hmm. like Snyder thing but this is really its own thing it's not a sequel to his original zombie movie it's not a remake of any other zombie movie it's just as it's just his own zombie movie he loves the genre he loves um like the source material of the history of like these films and what he made here is a really really fun movie yeah it has all of his flaws that normally come with it. although I think it's better than some of his films but it's definitely style over substance in some areas. Like I said, I think that there are moments where characters have certain relational things happen and you start to like find um, attachment to uh, or, or empathy or attachment to like what the outcomes of their situations are. And those are followed up by like these shock deaths or, mm-hmm. you know, he's infamous for like, some crazy thing happening that like just kind of like catches you off guard and then 30 seconds of slow-mo and someone crying and that person dying and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like this huge 
emotional impact of this death, but you can just obviously tell how played for shock value it is that like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel that impactful to me. The shock is impactful, but that's all it is. You know I mean? Like it's not that more for that, but that being said, I will say I cared about these characters a Hmm. lot more than I thought I would. Hmm. Uh, Dave Bautista, I really like him as Drax in um, the Guardians movies. However, this is no offense to him. You don't have to be a great actor. I don't think to play Drax. He's Hmm. such like a, like comedic role like over the top comedic role like i think people look at roles like that and they're like that's such great acting mm, i think the roles like more towards the middle that are like much more human more nuanced those are yeah. what, like really take range something like drax it's like it's so like inhuman and like over the top anyway that you can really just le- lean into like the cheesiness the humor there mm-hmm. um and then I've always thought that he was like a really nice guy. He seems like a really cool guy. He does. But his yeah. other characters and other things, I've just never really liked that much. I've never had a lot of like connection to his character. I really enjoyed his character in this film. I thought it showed a lot of range. I really, mm-hmm. I really liked him. Um, and I think it showed promise that he can take on. It's still like kind of a comedic role. It still yeah. plays into his macho. I mean, he used to be a wrestler. Um, He's huge yeah he's he's massive like absolutely massive and he'll never like he'll never like completely go away from that that's his like thing yeah but it shows that he can offer more depth within that than just that Mm -hmm. if that makes sense (laughs) um and even the other characters there are certain characters that at like when they're all kind of being introduced at the beginning i was like oh i'm gonna hate that character like he's just gonna be so annoying and I actually really liked them and mm-hmm. I was I don't think it's any spoiler to say that not everyone makes it out of this movie alive that's just yeah. like the nature of zombie movies um but I was actually like somewhat sad to like see them go when mm-hmm. they did go yeah um however again I feel like a lot of the deaths are undermined by just mm-hmm. the pace and whatever it's a little bloated of a movie too it's two and a half hours long there are plenty of scenes that just feel like they go on a couple beats longer than they need to. Like this could be cut down. I could easily see 10 minutes at the very least, maybe 20 minutes of this film being cut out and like slimming it down. I'm not a two and a half hours long, two and a half hours. Wow. Did it feel shorter to you? No, it definitely felt long, but I don't feel like it felt that long. Hmm. Like, I don't think, I don't think there was ever a point that I was like, and maybe this is just to the entertainment value of the movie yeah. itself, but yeah. I didn't ever think like, wow, this is still going. Like, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting to me. Yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah. Two and a half hours long. Um, I think that does speak to the entertainment value of the movie and how mm-hmm. the pace is quick enough that it, you know, it feels like you're moving from one beat to another relatively fast. I just personally think that there's some scenes that they spend too long on that they dwell on that could have been some down. Um, but ultimately, like, it's a lot of fun. It's crazy ambitious. It's crazy over the top. Like, it's truly an epic. I think if there's one movie, and I know we keep saying this about every movie that comes out, and that's because I truly think you should see as many movies in theaters as you need to. But if there's one movie post Oscar season that we've reviewed so far, that I would have, that I would choose to see in the movie in theaters. Uh, Those who wish me dead, mm-hmm. woman in the window, spiral. 
Army of the Dead, Army of the Dead, hands down, I think would be the most fun. In For it. sure. Like yeah. it's this epic yeah. story. It's huge scale. Mm -hmm. It's wholly original. So there's the movie basically is about a zombie outbreaks ha outbreak happens. It starts in Las Vegas. Obviously, Las Vegas is a crowded place. Everyone there starts to turn and they essentially just end up walling off the city. Like they create a huge barrier around it. The zombies all are all stuck in there. Um, and then you have this guy who was originally in this elite team that like got those few left not zombified in Las Vegas out of Las Vegas when they first walled it off years ago or whatever out. Uh, he received the Medal of Honor for it, had some personal struggles and is now just kind of like living on his own or whatever. He's approached by this billionaire, this myster mysterious billionaire who used to own one of the main uh, casinos in Las Vegas and basically says there's a vault underneath my casino that has $200 million in it. Insurance already gave me that money back because it's considered like, like the same as if it got burned up in a fire or something mm -hmm. like it's yeah. lost in yeah. there. So that means that that $200 million is just sitting there, sitting there. Like he mm -hmm. already got paid. It's just extra money. So he's like, if you can get a team together to go into this zombie infested city, this fortress essentially of zombies um, and get the money, like I'll give you 150 million of it, which is an insane amount of money. And that's the thing is this, Las Vegas has really become like this fortress of zombies. There's hierarchy of zombies in this movie. There's like the typical brain dead, just they just like react to sound or light or whatever and hunt brain um, or blood or whatever it is. And then there's like a higher level of zombies that are like smarter, they're more intelligent, like they're more human like, who are called alphas who kind of control like the rest of these zombies. Um, and so it's a wholly original kind of premise for a zombie film. Mm -hmm. It was just as much of a heist film as it is a zombie mm -hmm. film, which was yeah. very fun. Yeah. Mash up. Um, but one thing that Zack Snyder does well that he brought to the table here was his incredible openings. The yes. first 10 minutes of this film are so, so good. So good. Yeah. He had, like I said, the, the opening of Dawn of the Dead in 2004, uh went over really really well with critics and audiences alike and then the opening to Watchmen, many people state as like one of the best openings to a film hmm. of all time and then he kind of like threw out that histories the uh the history of superheroes in that movie and then in this movie you have a scene at the beginning that shows like the initial outbreak how it started mm -hmm. how it got out and then from there you have this slow motion 10 minute probably montage of credits rolling yeah but also basically these scenes that depict the downfall of las vegas yeah. and the eventual rise of like the zombies in the city and then walling it off and it's just fantastic it's like, so fun as a short film alone it's just yeah. fantastic it's so good one thing that really disappointed me is you see this team like i said that dave Bautista was like a leader of that he eventually kind of re uh re um contact some of them to go back mm -hmm. in with him you see them fighting a bunch of zombies and one of the lead characters i'm forgetting his name the guy with the saw mm -hmm. you um his name? yeah his name uh is vander vandero vanderoe his, right his, that's his character's van? name yeah we'll call him van van you see van he has 
a saw that he is killing these zombies. Like a table with. saw. Yeah, like a table saw. Sorry. And it's super cool, like super bloody, super yeah. violent. And then later in the movie, when they're going back in, he he digs up his old saw. He says like, "Ready to play again" or some yeah. cheesy line. And then later on, like another character touches it, and he's like, "Don't touch my saw." Blah blah blah. We never get to see him kill any other zombies with the saw. It's true. He doesn't use it once they're in there. Yeah. I'm still looking forward to him just sawn off Slicing a bunch of zombies heads just oh man it was so i was so excited and he mm. never actually pulled it out he killed zombies with guns and stuff and never yeah never pulled out the saw i mean if you think about it it's kind of inconvenient it's quite yeah, large but, <laughs> yeah but then like why even have it in the first place obviously that was like yeah supposed to be like his comfort weapon his thing. like that's yeah. what he would like best with yeah but I, w- I was disappointed by that but anyway great opening scene and yeah. the rest of the movie really doesn't disappoint. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, I really enjoyed watching it. Had a good time. It's it's silly. It's over the top. It's gory. It's great. Yeah. 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 It brought up a couple questions for me, such as how do zombies know where to bite someone? I think every like why, zombie movie has different why are they going as to like for the neck. They just know. I and I know that I need to not think about it so much because it's a zombie movie, but that was that was one of my questions. And then also, mm, I won't reveal who it is, but at some point you you realize that there's a zombie that is pregnant, Mm -hmm. and that was interesting. Yeah. Also, another thing. (laughs) Also, the zombie love between the two of them made me really Uh uncomfortable. Yeah, it was very uncomfortable. (laughs) It reminded me of the movie Border from 2018, which I don't know if you've seen, but no, it's uh has some very uncomfortable love scenes in it mm-hmm. that echo kind of that primal interaction between yeah. two humanoid-looking things. Yeah. Um, but there's a scene in it where uh, a zombie baby is being held, uh-huh. and it like glows for yeah. a second. There's yeah. like this glowing underneath it. Yeah. And then the leader of this alpha leader of the pack holds up the baby kind of uh lion king style and all the other zombies around him like howl or like cheer it on or kind of cry with it i mean they don't speak words and it's this wide shot of all these zombies and you can see like three or four i notice have their eyes glowing like the same kind of glow that was in that baby but until you saw that baby glow two seconds earlier you hadn't seen that in any other zombies Yeah. I thought like, oh, something new is happening. Like there's yeah. this mutation within them. They're going to gain like some sort of extra power or something. And then even later on in scenes, there's some zombies that they kill that like right before they kill them, when they shoot them, their eyes glow mm-hmm. and it looks like there's like electricity coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's never explained. Yeah. It's never talked about like why yeah. that's happening, what it is. It felt like there was something else being explored there. And they just were like, oh, that it probably it genuinely probably was like this whole thing yeah. going on. And then they just like decided it was going to be too much or whatever. Much, but then yeah. why not just re CGI out? Hmm. It's not like they shot that light in their eyes and camera. That's not a natural effect. Sure. <laughs> Someone went in with a computer and did that. So why don't you have them undo that if yeah. it's not going to be part of the story? Yeah. Maybe it just adds lore to it. Yeah, it it adds like there's something else. There's yeah. potential for a sequel, you sure. know? Um, yeah, definitely. But there's a lot of plot holes in the movie, um, which is fine. Like it's totally fine. And I'm going to, spoil one it's really not a spoiler because we already told you like they're breaking in to try to go down to this safe underneath Mm -hmm. the thing so that's that's about as much of a spoiler as it is but one thing to me is 
the owner of this casino comes to them and says, Hey, I need you to go break into Las Vegas, you know, blah, 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 get the money from the safe. Also, you have to bring the safe cracker in. And like one of the main characters and one of the main plots of the film is him cracking the safe, which mm-hmm. I really liked that character. I really I loved him. Relationship with Van. Yes. That's like my favorite yes, kind of duo same. of the movie. Same. Um, the guy owns the casino. Yeah. Doesn't he know the code to his the own code. safe? Why do they need a safe cracker? He owns the casino. Is he just like, oh, I forgot my passcode, guys. I'm so sorry. No, well, but, but it's I like I feel like there were a lot of shady things going on with him. So it's true, but it's made to be this like whole thing. Like how hard this safe is to crack, how he only has like two or three tries to get it. And if he mm-hmm. messes up like three times, it locks forever, like forever, yeah. forever. And you'll yeah. never get what's in there again. Even if you drop an atomic bomb on it, which who would do that? But I don't know. <laughs> you know, it could happen. Um, and like, it's made to be this whole thing. And it's like, so just give him the code. He knows <laughs> the code. There's no way. Which, yeah, maybe mm, it's, it's making him like, work for it. it. Yeah. Making him work for it. But like, anyway. There's also a character in there um, who he recruits as basically since the zombie outbreak has um, happened, some people have gone viral online killing zombies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what character I'm talking about? Uh huh. And then he brings along two of his friends. And that was a character that when I first saw the video, there's like this video of him, like he's a YouTuber, kind of like Jake Paul-esque, but he's like real like, oh yeah, blah, 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 like shooting zombies like in the video mm-hmm. and they're like watching it and they're like we should go find this guy because he's yeah. actually skilled at like killing zombies and he ends up being pretty good i actually really liked his character he was mm-hmm. like a noble person mm-hmm. by the end. and his friends that came with him ended up being like i thought they were purposely going to be like the annoying even like when they first enter the zombie area they like take a selfie mm-hmm. like they're supposed to represent this like social media youngster yeah, yeah. Like age but then they end up being like some of the more like uh uh, I, I don't want to use the word noble again, but like uh, loyal. Yeah, integrity. Like they have integrity compared yeah. to some of the other characters that are like yeah. doing shadier things. Yeah, like they're just straight up there to like help out the cause or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're there to get their money or whatnot. But like, you know, and he, does he not look like Josh Gonzalez in the movie? <laughs> Josh, if you're listening to this, not exactly. And his hair is like bleached on top and stuff. Uh-huh. And his, his lower half of his face and facial hair. Yeah, I could see in it the, in the movie specifically. Totally. Totally. Like the very first video is like that looks like Josh Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah. Which is we, not a we love you, Josh. not a bad person to look like. <laughs> a good looking man. Oh. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's a lot of fun. It's a good time. I would really encourage you guys to go see it. Watch it with your friends. It's like it's bloody. It's gory. It's a zombie movie, mm-hmm. but in a fun way. In a fun uh, way. In a yeah. fun way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it also has a great uh, soundtrack. Yeah, it does. Uh, Zack Snyder is another one of those guys like Lindelof um, that I mentioned a lot of times that mm-hmm. loves putting songs yes. that that don't really, match that don't match the yes. tone. You know, one hundred percent. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. The whole opening sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Credit Which sequence. Which it definitely does match the area. Oh, also another oh, kind of plot twist that I like, or not plot twist. Sorry, plot hole so more zombies got out right because like so the zombie outbreak happens in las vegas yeah they seem like they wall it off within like a couple days kind of uh-huh. thing. Uh-huh. like it starts to happen they're like oh crap what do we do and the government's like 
just accidentally we just gotta wall it off shut it down but then there's other scenes that happen obviously outside of las vegas outside Mm -hmm. of the border the walls where zombies exist Hmm. uh a past incident with the main character Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well as like the video of that youtuber yeah he's not in las vegas when he's doing that he's just like in the street of wherever else he lives killing zombies so like is the outbreak still happening in the rest of the world? Maybe it, because it, it's not as concentrated or maybe, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. But it kind of seems like once it gets to a city, it's done for. Totally. Like the yeah. whole thing just collapses. Yeah. And that's kind of what the movie makes it seem like is that they were lucky enough to just wall it off. Mm-hmm. And it just like Las Vegas is just sitting out there tearing itself apart. But yeah. luckily everyone else is safe. Yeah. Which is a smart move you know yeah. as yeah. far as keeping the rest of the world safe but that was just confusing to me but also i don't care it doesn't matter <laughs> that much um ultimately i you know it isn't the quiet the highest quality film or anything like that mm-hmm. but i did really really enjoy watching yeah. it and i think you guys should watch it too yeah a lot of fun yeah. and as someone who in in the last episode of our podcast, as we reviewed spiral i know that i talked about um how how (laughs) the gore aspect of spiral is super not my thing um as Wyatt just mentioned this also it's a zombie movie there's a lot of gore there's a lot of brains exploding in front of you ligaments being torn out of necks like it is a gory movie however I enjoyed it and I think yeah. it's because it's so over the top and it's zombies and like Which is, I was gonna mention something when you said when I said in a fun way and you you said yeah in a fun way because literally last episode I was talking about yeah. like how they make the gore fun and some people find that fun yeah. I think it's different in these two types of movies so I think different people just find different ones fun but totally. you can see how watching it it's yes. like I I don't I do not wish that the movie had been any less gory than it was yeah yeah. Like I, I thoroughly enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's, yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time. A good time. So if you want a good time too, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you should call. No. Uh, <laughs> you should watch. Uh, Army of the it? Dead. Oh, Army of the Dead <laughs> on Netflix right now. Yes. Um, if you want a slightly less good time, you can watch Woman in the Window. <laughs> after you watch our different kind of good time (laughs) different kind of good time um (laughs) also sounds weird um okay but anyway watch those two movies let us know what you think uh and i think that wraps things up yeah all right we'll talk to you guys soon bye Bye. Bye. See you at the drive-thru window, India.